Welcome back to The Last Saga with Parvision. Today we'll be covering chapter 1057 of One Piece. This chapter has gotten a lot of mixed reactions. This is a chapter that I wanted to be critical of, and when there's a chapter like that, I'll generally wait until the official translations to get some clarity on the wording and dialogue, but I'll also talk to others and discuss some of the contention points. So that being said, I try to get these analysis episodes on the Friday after TCB Scans posts, but if it doesn't go up then, then no, I'm probably waiting for the official translations and the episode will come out sometime after I review those. I do want to give a major shout out to Dan Demand for gifting me the amazing rare Wano statue of Roof Peace Luffy that I got to debut on the live stream. The knockup stream for 1057 was great and there was a lot of discussion. I really loved those discussions because it had me reflecting and reviewing so much of Wano. Apparently a lot of my viewers were excited for me because of the various developments that aligned with my predictions that I had in the past and I do want to mainly focus on those points of the chapters. That being said, if you're new to my channel, the way I view the world is by making connections. So let me connect you to my vision, the par vision. So I will be truthful. After the trio chapters from 1054 to 1056, 1057 felt a little lackluster. There were moments in this chapter that left me questioning the progression of the chapter. And there were several situations that I feel could have been included to elevate the quality of the chapter overall. And I'm still kind of letting the chapter sit and marinate with me. I think this was part of the course of the arc and saga. Chapter 1057 was titled The End, and appropriately so because it was the end of the long act 3 of Wano. Given that after a major arc and war like this, there would be a slow point in the story. The next chapters will probably be focused on world building and dialogue. And after 1054, 1055, and 1056, getting more chapters that were jaw droppers like that was going to be short lived, and I don't know if I personally fell victim to high expectations I had for the resolution of Wano, and I'm saying that as a person who has said many times that Wano would be an arc that transcends its chapters more than any other arc after the arc is done. As there were countless times when someone compared this arc to Arabasta, Annie's Lobby, Skypea, Thriller Bark, Marineford, Fishman Island, and I think going to the last saga, Wano will have plot lines that will flourish even more then. But I still felt like 1057 could have had some minor pivots that would have made it more memorable of an ending, and I'll discuss exactly what I mean when it comes up in the analysis. I think this chapter did feel like we rushed the end of Wano, and it definitely felt tangible in this chapter more so in the previous chapters, at least to me. With all that in mind, let's jump into the chapter and we start with the cover story. We finally get Caesar taking action and I'm not too sure what to say about this situation. In no world does it make sense to me that Katakuri and Oven outright loses this, but it is the Germa cover story. I imagine Caesar is siding with the Vinsmokes as he often has to choose the preferable enemy to side with. It almost looks like Caesar went Shinokuni mode here, and if so, there is a possibility that Caesar poisons everyone and Reiju saves her allies with her poison pink powers. So this will be interesting to see how this storyline pans out and when it becomes relevant to the core manga story later on. And now getting into the core parts of the chapter, we start out with the narration in a musical tone in the form of a Rakugo performance that is essentially giving a dramatic retelling of the events of Onigashima. He prefaces the story saying this is the story of the loyal samurai vassals who fought bravely to avenge the death of Kozuki Oden. He begins with the evening of the fire festival, and we get transitioned out into the new forest created by Admiral Ryokugu, where we see Momo sprinting in dragon form with Kinyamon and Yamato riding along. Yamato confirms to the reader that she is not going out to the sea with Luffy, her exact lines in the official 
official translations are, I've already told Luffy and his friends that I'm not going, which is what I was predicting since the beginning of this year. But I also reiterated with the end of 1056. I'll get to explaining my perspective in a second, but I knew I would be upsetting people with this take. But the end of 1056 really gave me the feeling that Yamato wasn't going to go with Luffy. And it was a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people that I still got pushback when I made that apparent. But it was a pill that ultimately needed to be taken as we see with chapter 1057. That being said, it very quickly switches back to Momo and Kinemon's perspective, where they feel insulted by the lack of a goodbye from the Straw Hat crew. And this was something that was also set up in the recent chapters that really made me sad too. I understood the crew's behavior from their perspective, but I still sided with Momo and Kinemon. And when Yamato said they were overreacting, I honestly didn't think so. Sure, the words they have said may have been over the top, but if my homies left my house without saying goodbye and said goodbye to everyone but me, I'd be upset too. But then I thought about it more and I was like, it's not weird if family just left the house without saying anything to me, they're family. And that is more of the relationship that Momo has with the crew. Momo questions this and says, we may not have been the best of friends, but after that long journey, do I really mean nothing to you? Momo says this on the way to Tokage port where the pirate crews are preparing for the departure. And when he finally gets there, he is received with the line that confirms this line of thinking. Luffy thinks of Momo higher than a stranger, more than a friend, closer than a best friend, and says he thinks of Momo as a little brother, and says he is welcome to board his ship as a crewmate whenever. This definitely felt heavy sentimentally. I really love this development and moment and I can't wait for the anime to really flesh this time out. I mean this whole scene as I laughed during the live reaction felt like a Bollywood movie where Momo was the male MC chasing after the female MC because of misunderstanding and to get some kind of clarity. Momo as a dragon even ran to make it more dramatic than just him flying. And we get several big moments out of this. From this progression of events it almost feels like Luffy never intended to leave Wano without seeing Momo because he had a flag prepared to leave for him. It kind of feels like they were testing Momo's resolve and their relationship because Luffy could have just given him the flag in the capital and claimed Wano as his territory then. But instead we got it here where they were sort of expecting Momo to meet them there. And he had a giant flag prepared and gave it to him and told him that if they have any threats in the future to use his name and his crew's clout to scare off any intruders. This was a huge moment. This was also the first time Luffy has proactively and intentionally took territory not just as a Yonko but in general. Twin Capes doesn't count because that was to establish a promise to Laboon, and Fishman Island was primarily to counter Big Mom's territory that she was abusing, and Shanks' island was taken by Bartow. But this on Wano is a major milestone for Luffy, for sure, and it's fitting that Wano is the first territory Luffy has as a Yonko because honestly, Wano alone is Yonko level territory, which is further supported by the fact that Kaido's primary territory as a Yonko was just Wano for the most part, and by defeating Kaido, Luffy is taken over as the umbrella protection while Momo grows into the true guardian and leader of Wano. And I'll come back to this scene and the Yamato discussion in a second, but I want to get through the whole chapter then return. So after the more proper goodbye, we see a meme scene with Kid, Law, and Luffy, which results in them getting literally baited in taking the unsafe way off of Wano, which is literally the equivalent to, if your friend told you to jump off of a cliff, would you do it? 
Yes, we can say the three captains are truly friends because their friend baited them to do that and they did. Which side note makes me upset for the Pluton is a mole theory because we were so close to actually seeing the mole port in the Hakumai region and it makes you wonder why Oda doesn't just want to show us that port. But as we transition out of this scene, we are left with the panel where the three captain ships are flying off of Wano, and we are met with the Rakugo guy's continued narration of what happened during Onigashima, and we skip many parts of his story to come to the end of the war. The monster captains get equated to guardian deities of Wano, who toppled Kaido, the dragon king, and the great ghastly Oiran, which we're assuming to be Big Mom, and we are brought to a very interesting part of the story. So with this, we have to keep in mind this is a story retold by the Rakugo guy in a presentation foreign to most western readers. The comedy and nuance and wording may not be surface level for us, but what is more apparent is that this story was told to rile up the masses and dramatically make the main characters of Wano, which is Momo, Hiori, and the Scabbards, much more heroic than they truthfully were. And I would have loved if they gave Momo more of a fictional heroic tale, but instead they emphasized Hiori here. That that being said, we get a retelling of the events between Hiori and Orochi that started on chapter 1044 and were updated in chapter 1047, ultimately concluded with in chapter 1048, and then we were given a last view of it in chapter 1049. And the retelling that the Rakugo guy gives us after the Denjiro part is all fan fiction from my perspective. So he says Denjiro took the final head of Kurozumi Orochi, and then hard as it may be to believe, there stood Orochi, burning and baleful, and he said, the wrath of the Kurozumi clan will curse this country unto its last generation. This never happened. From our viewpoint in chapter 1048 and 1049, after Denjiro cut off Orochi's last head, no more words were ever said. Even if you go to the chapter 1048, prior to Denjiro ex executing Orochi, Orochi says never count out the wrath of Kurozumi, which still doesn't quite fit the retelling. So we can clearly see that this Rakugo narration was over exaggerated to get a point across. We see that he then puts in the lines after that that say, but the fair princess had witnessed 20 years of Wano's suffering. Her gaze was unwavering. Dendro says, be careful princess, but she pushed the samurai's arm aside, which again, never happened. So again, this narration was trying to over dramatize the situation. And he continued to say, then our princess Yori stood her ground and delivered her verdict unto the burning Orochi. In her hand, the fan bearing the Kozuki seal, on her lips, the memories of 20 years thinking of her father, mother, brother, and the country, she spoke. Say it with me, everyone. Kurozumi was born to burn. And it closes out with the narration, and we finally get the final panel of Act 3 saying the end. But to rewind back a little bit, let's talk about that last part. So one of the biggest misconceptions I've seen so far is that Hiyori said Kurozumi was born to burn, which from my perspective is not the case. This was a part of the Rakugo guy's retelling. These were words he inserted into the story to make it more heroic. None of the events leading up to that line ever happened. Orochi never got back up to say those lines and even in chapter 1049 we see Hiyori crying in Dendro's arms while Orochi is upside down, burning, 
Whereas in this chapter, he made up the story and has Orochi still upright and reacting even, and at no point did Hiyori slap away Dendro's arm. The point of the story was to make Hiyori out to be a hero, rather than Orochi's Oiran. It was probably to expose the truths of Dendro and Hiyori's role in Wano, because a big question in the citizens' minds would be, wait, they were alive this whole time, what were they doing? Momo and the other scabbard story can be explained differently because of the time fruit source but the citizens were probably confused on how the head of the Kyoshiro family and Komurasaki were actually masquerading as Denjiro and Hiyori for the whole 20 years, and to reinforce the idea that at no point did either of them ever betray the Kozuki. Now to briefly discuss the line that Kurozumi was born to burn, I truthfully on first read did react much like what most of the community was confused by. This line seemingly perpetuates the cycle of hatred that puts Orochi in the position he was in the first place. My main thing to respond to this part is that this is a prime example of why the true history is always important. The victor will write history and there is no complete sinless side, which is why One Piece is such a riveting story with multi dimensional characters and faces of justice and evil. That being said, the person I'm most upset with isn't even the Rakugo guy, it's Sukiyaki. This man has most of the true history and he could clear up so many things in a healthier way. If the people understood Orochi's history, then they wouldn't run the risk of repeating that history, which might be the case with this line saying Kurozumi was born to burn. It can be understood as a green light to discriminate against all of the Kurozumi family in the future, which is their original predicament, right? The Kozuki punished Orochi's grandfather and stripped the family of their honor and land, but it was the people who carried on their form of justice on behalf of the Kozuki by persecuting the Kurozumi, which was probably not intended, but nothing was done to counter it as Sukiyaki, when he came into power, simply left Kuri to be lawless, and that was probably the original Kurozumi land, which I've talked about in the past in my Voice of All Things streams that I have every Sunday and post on my VODs channel. All that being said, I do think the Kurozumi line does partially open a world where this storyline does not end with Wano and may extend outside of the story. Again, I have a future theory video that will touch on this topic. That being said, I think the proper interpretation of this line was simply to parallel the Odin Boyle line, making this a pun on Kurozumi meaning charcoal. I think what was intended here was that Kurozumi in this context was referring to only Orochi. We get this from the line just prior where the Rakugo guy says Hiyori delivered her verdict onto the burning Orochi, so this line was directed to Orochi, which when you think about it is very ironic. If we take the parallel from Odin, then Odin also said that his will would not die, even in death. Orochi said a similar thing in chapter 1044, where he says even if revenge is taken on him, his will essentially would carry on, and Kaido would still be alive at that point. But then you think of how Whitebeard talked about wills and Rayleigh too, oftentimes a will is referred to as a fire. So if Kurozumi was born to burn, then could that insinuate that like Odin, there might be someone unrelated to Orochi that would carry their twisted will? Maybe it gets carried on if someone finds Orochi's fruit for example. But that was just a thought. I think another perspective to take here is that in the West, it is uncommon for us to refer to someone by their last name and disconnect them from their family name. Whereas in Japan, it isn't uncommon for people to refer to people in a formal or unfamiliar setting by their last name and not by referring to their entire family or clan. I mean, in America, we do refer to like teachers with last names and professors and, you know, people of authority. 
But where we're talking about is like, you know, friend acquaintances, that kind of situation. I think in those instances, you need context clues. But again, in our culture, this isn't as common, which is why this play on words does feel foreign to us. But I would imagine for some Japanese speakers, this wasn't as large of a miss to us. So my current take on all of this is that this line was not from Hiyori, and it was not intended to incite violence on all the Kurozumi, and was meant to be directed towards Orochi, but this Rakugo guy's story might have opened the door for the cycle to continue through a misunderstanding. But after letting this sit with me a little bit longer, though I have theories that would support a continued Kurozumi relevance to the story, I don't think it has to continue as this line may not continue the cycle of hatred, which should be broken by this point, and the person with the largest fault is probably Sukiyaki because he actually has the macro picture here. But my bias is that Sukiyaki has taken L after L from my perspective in the ending chapters especially. Which, okay, now that we got past all of that, let's talk about chapter 1057 being the end of Wano and how I feel about that. I've heard many perspectives so far that this was an awful chapter or that this chapter alone brings Wano down a ranking. And I don't agree with the majority reasons as to why they think this. I think a lot of the plot lines within Wano very healthily have many opportunities to be addressed after Wano within the last saga. And it almost might make more sense to do it that way even without my Amatsuki theory that makes Wano nearly core to the last saga storyline. But that being said, chapter 1057 did feel rushed to me. A feel that many had in the previous chapters and I didn't feel it as much but this chapter I did and I want to explain why. I think most of what people felt bad about within this chapter were moments that weren't given a lot of context and it felt in a lot of ways to me that we were thrown into so many important moments in rapid fire when these same moments in previous arcs would have been given at the minimum one more page if not an entire dedicated double spread. So many of these moments would have sat better with the community if it was given more context like that Hiyori scene. But the place I want to focus on is the goodbye section of chapter 10. This goodbye was a heavily anticipated goodbye. People were extremely invested in how this would spin out, and to me it hurts more that chapter 1057, the end of Wano, didn't leave us with stronger memorable moments that I'm honestly expecting the anime to add because they've been adding way more detail to all of these moments in within Onigashima in a mostly an impactful and healthy way. To clarify, so many additional scenes were added that really emphasize the emotional aspects that was lost in the manga, like the first Kiku and Kanjuro scene, or when Luffy entered the rooftop scene with the scabbards, when Luffy pulled out Conqueror's coding, these were all moments that the anime did really really well and capitalized on ways the manga couldn't, and I expect that to happen here. But even without that, going back to one of the first moments that hit me was when Luffy called Momo his little brother. Immediately that line hit me more than Luffy giving Momo the flag. I thought this huge line would be more emphasized. Luffy respecting Momo enough to call him a little brother. This is the baby Momo that Luffy had to mold throughout the entire time skip. Besides Whole Cake Island, we were with this baby, cowardly, barely dragon looking thing. This is now a a fully adult shogun dragon Momo. The Wano arc was four years, but Momo was here well beyond that, more than even Vivi was, more than any other character to be honest. Yet the goodbye was so abrupt, 
Yes, maybe it's because they are family, maybe this means we'll be seeing them so soon that a dramatic goodbye wouldn't feel appropriate from Oda's perspective. But that's the thing, we had these moments before, and Luffy and the word brother and family is so meaningful. Outside of Ace and Sabo, who has Luffy really called a brother like this? And again, other arcs gave more impactful moments that I can remember just by a few buzzwords. At the end of the Dressrosa arc, to symbolize the union with Luffy, the Grand Fleet captains did a Sakazuki Sun's Cup ceremony, and that was a huge double spread. But also even more memorable than that was the Ace Sabo Luffy brother sake cup moment, where yes, an 8 year old Luffy was drinking sake, so adult child Momo could have been shown to do the same thing. Imagine a larger panel where Momo and Luffy trade a cup of sake to solidify that brotherly bond just like Luffy did with his brothers. Obviously we didn't get that, and missing it doesn't hurt the story, but I think adding it would have made this chapter way more memorable, as it should be, as it's the end of Wano. And speaking of the elephant in the room, the largest parallel people will draw to is the Vivi moment of her being a straw hat, despite not joining the ship. And we got the similar feeling here when Luffy said Kinemon, Yamato, and Momo are all welcome to join the crew when they want to become pirates, putting them all in a similar boat as Vivi, who was essentially given the same option. With that in mind, the sentiment behind Vivi saying goodbye to the crew was so memorable that it got remade multiple times, even in the episode 1000th hype campaign. The raised arms of the Straw Hats showing unity with Vivi despite departing her lands and her resolve to represent her nation was a memorable moment that even saying Vivi Nakama moment would instantly put that image of the raised hands in every One Piece viewer's mind. Whereas here, if I said the Wano goodbye scene, all of us would think of a different panel, and if we remembered similar panels, it might not invoke the same level of emotional response out of us that the Vivi goodbye scene did. The flag was the closest thing, but not even that got a moment to breathe in this chapter. Luffy declaring that Momo could use his name to defend Wano was an epic moment, but not on the same tier as these other moments, at least within the manga. Imagine a moment where the Straw Hats are lined up leaving and Momo and Yamato were holding the straw hat flag spread out as the three captains left Wano. That would have both felt and looked incredible. That memory would have been imprinted on us, similar to how Vivi's goodbye scene was. There was many moments outside of even this within the chapter. The chapter seemed more focused on Wano's specific reflection rather than the main character side of things, which was interesting. Even in the last panels where we do get a wallpaper style showing of the main Wano characters, that felt less important as we time skipped after the arc through most of the dialogue that could have happened that would have given us continued importance of these characters. And on top of that, ending Wano and closing the current on Wano with the straw hat flag flying would have been a cool addition. Whereas rather than that, we just see Momo bringing the thought up. It would have been so cool to actually see it as we left Wano. There was also several things outside of these main events that are confusingly missing. For example, a great point that Vinland brought up in our collaboration stream was that Marco seemingly had no dialogue with Luffy in the entirety of Act 3. Zoro and Ryuma's grave was another pain point for many viewers. The whole carrot situation, which I explained from my end, but I can't explain at this moment why Carrot didn't say goodbye to the crew either. I think it would be weirder for her to continue as a stowaway and shirk her responsibilities 
as the next Duke of Zoe, but maybe that is what happens. Maybe Carrot does get a better, more direct goodbye with the Straw Hats than even Momo, which in my opinion would be wrong to do given that Momo should have and would have a much more closer relationship than Carrot did with the Straw Hat crew. But now that I bring up Straw Hats and their friends to address this part of the Yamato situation, her not joining is something though I had not made a specific video about was something I had discussed several times on streams or in my chapter reviews. To me it felt like Oda wanted us to feel like Yamato would join especially in the recent chapters, but it was always in the cards for her to not join, especially right after Wano. I'll give my reasons but I do want to preface that this situation was another situation situation that would have felt much better if given more context. I mean Vivi, though not the same as Yamato, was given nearly all of chapter 216 to flesh out the perspective of why she didn't join, and you could feel the turmoil and emotions all within this chapter, but with Yamato on 1057 and 1056, we aren't given a chance more than a few speech bubbles, like four panels in total to grasp that full context, and what she gave as a reasoning in very little screen time did not feel like the best explanation that answers everything or even gave us what might be her full answer. So let me give you my perspective on Yamato and then we'll circle back to the chapter. The way I understood her character from the introduction was that yes, she was captivated by Kozuki Odin, more than just an idol and role model, but so much so that because his life was cut short, she felt so motivated to want to fill the void of Odin by becoming Odin and carrying on his dreams. Those dreams are the important aspect here because from what we know of Odin through Kinemon, the Odin flashback and the other sources Odin wanted to sail and adventure out, so much so that to Despite recognizing the turmoil of his lands, he abandoned it for one more year to sail with Roger, only to return nearly too late. But that's the thing, this isn't the Odin that Yamato came to love. She learned of this later, but the Odin she came to love was the legendary Our Odin. I think back to chapter 971, where Shinobu gives us the truth of Odin's situation. Odin was literally carrying the saviors of Wano in a pot of boiling oil, enduring the torture for the sake of the future. He says to Kaido to give him a chance because his survival is imperative, and the citizens only see the man who humiliated himself and essentially abandoned them and failed to liberate them. But Shinobu explains that Odin sacrificed himself and his own person to save 100 people with each dance to apologize to the Kurozumi clan. Odin was traveling to from region to region every week to make sure everyone was safe during those five years to ensure that Orochi was not hurting more people. And Shinobu goes on to proclaim that for all these years, Lord Odin has been protecting this land. These were the words that brought Yamato to tears. This was the story that Yamato first heard about Odin that made her stake her life on this man. She heard this and ran to Kuri along with the scabbards to save Momo from Kaido, but could not make it there in time. She didn't have the strength to do it back then, which is why 20 years later, her goal was to save Momo. Her major acknowledgement is that she is Yamato and she would die for Momo. This was not a time when she used Odin's name. No, her own name of Yamato was staked here. 
It wasn't until after the legendary hour when Yamato conveniently found Odin's journal, which she claimed to be her bible. But that Odin was foreign to her, but reinforced some things. See, there was another important line that came out of Odin in the presence of Yamato that probably made a large impression on kid Yamato, and that was this. The essential last words of Odin that was proclaimed so loudly it was shown to reverberate through the entire capital, it was his last order. I want you to open up Wano in my stead. The scabbards respond, your dream is our dream. And that was another thing that Yamato probably is shouldering here in staying on Wano. And we see that in how Yamato acknowledges a major difference in her and Oden here. Odin starts out the execution saying it is imperative that he, Kozuki Odin, needs to live and asks Kaido for a chance at survival. After his death, though Yamato has taken up the name Kozuki Odin, she respectfully understands, especially after reading Odin's journal, that she could never be Odin and that it's not imperative that she lives, but instead Momo lives. She repeats this exact line to Momo later on. Momo is the one to guide the world to the dawn not Yamato, similar to how Odin resolved himself to not be the one to push the future forward, but rather the one who protects it and guides it. And we see this with Odin. Before his execution, he proactively already entrusted his swords to his kids for them to fight the next battle, the next war, the next wave of oppression for him in his stead to open up Wano for Joy Boy. And again, I want to acknowledge that Oda made the situation with Yamato something that could have gone multiple ways. But after chapter 1056 in the last panels is what confirmed which direction Oda was most likely going in. It wouldn't have been as interesting if it was a super linear choice. I think when Yamato was introduced we get the feeling that she was going to join the crew. Then to me as she talked to Momo it felt like she was describing her true intentions behind being Odin which was protecting Wano. Then we got the flashback of her with with Ace and again the feeling of her desire to go out to sea was there and emphasized, especially in the anime. Then when she talked with Momo again after Yamato froze the armory, it felt like again that Yamato was created to guide Momo rather than join the crew, which I will get into in a few seconds. But then towards the end in the chapters after Bajran Gun, where Yamato caught Luffy until the last panels of chapter 1056, it felt like Oda wanted to leave us with the last feeling of Yamato joining the crew to further establish the turmoil when making the decision of whether to stay or go and ultimately in chapter 1057 we see the situation where she decides to stay. A few lines that stand out to me in her fight with Kaido that I want to bring up here are she said if I don't fight for the sake of this country then I can't call myself Odin which is her ultimate goal to fulfill the legacy of Odin the Odin that she got to know and we go to chapter 1020 which is the chapter after this where it's established that her devil fruit is the guardian deity of Wano and Yamato proclaims that she will free the samurai she says specifically I will liberate this country and its samurai Samurai and release them onto the world, remembering Odin's last wish to open Wano's borders. 
This part is significant as we find out in chapter 1050, Momo decides to not open up the borders. So that means on multiple fronts, Yamato is still tied to Wano. Her mission, her original mission is not complete. Momo has to be protected and Wano needs to open the borders and stay protected. And those are essentially the last desires Odin had in the last moments of his life, which again, were Yamato's first impression of Odin. Oftentimes it feels like when someone passes within the story of One Piece, it feels like being present for that person's death will create a situation where that will will pass on. But now that brings us to chapter 1057 and how we received the message that she was not joining the crew. To reiterate my gripes with the rest of the chapter, the exact same thing happened here, where this massive moment for Yamato, whether she joined or not, was relegated to just about two dialogue bubbles, where those two dialogue bubbles seemed so contained and don't even explain a fraction of anything that I explained, and I would love to know what Oda had in mind here. Later on, we do get the brief acknowledgement that Yamato's presence is protective in nature to Momo. Luffy offers his flag as a shield and also asks Yamato to watch after Momo for him, and that is another large explanation here. In my various collaborations and recently with The Hidden Island, another amazing One Piece content creator on YouTube, I reiterated the point that regardless of what happens to Momo, Yamato would be the best person to train Momo because she was Kaido's sparring opponent for lack of better words, also is very knowledgeable on Kaido's devil fruit which is now Momo's fruit, and has conquers hockey which will be really incredibly important. When Momo returns to the story as a monster, it'll almost be entirely because of Yamato, I'm sure of it. But again, that was never offered as an explanation. I look back at the Vivi situation and she was given nearly the entirety of chapter 216 to show us the inner turmoil with her decision ending with the memorable Nakama moment. And I know Momo is more of the parallel to Vivi, but even he did not nearly get the same treatment. And it feels less of a parallel because Momo's turmoil wasn't leaving with the Straw Hats, it was that they were leaving him. Whereas Yamato was the one contemplating the decision of leaving with the Straw Hats. But even if we use a better parallel of Jinbei, it, we get the same problem. He was given multiple moments with the crew throughout the Fishman Island arc, but also towards the end of the arc, he was given a decent amount of time to give us his perspective and reasoning as to why he could not join the crew at the time, and it was because he had business to take care of. That being said, what is interesting is that after the Straw Hats, or while they're leaving, we see Jinbei talking with King Neptune a little bit, giving us more exposition on Jinbei's decision and the outcome. And it came down to Jinbei needing to take care of Fishman Island after Luffy swapped the protection from Big Mom. But also Jinbei needed to honorably break his contract with Big Mom. And Jinbei had 70,000 new soldiers from the new Fishman pirate movement to train and break in. And all of this could have been applied to Yamato if not still be applied. From our understanding, after Onigashima fell, Yamato is taking command of the remnants of the Beast Pirates. Though the situation in Udon is still unclear, I'm sure if there are wandering Beast Pirates, Yamato would be able to rein them in much better than anyone else on Wano. There is now a large population of Beast Pirates that will remain on Wano or leave, and that has to be managed. This conversation between Yamato and Momo could maybe still happen while the Straw Hats leave. So maybe in 1058 or in a few chapters, we will 
will gain this understanding of the Yamato situation. I really do hope Oda gives Yamato more time to air out the thoughts and matters that came to the ultimate decision of staying on Wano. Now with all that being said, there is so much more I could say, and I might expand on that in this video on my channel, because now that Yamato is not joining the crew, people are questioning her purpose in the story and I do want to address that. I think despite her not joining the crew, she did play a valuable role in the story, and not one that could've couldn't have been substituted by something else maybe? But for example, now that we are leaving Wano, something that we started seeing more of was connecting or networking via Viva cards. It doesn't seem like Yamato made a Viva card for Luffy, despite how important that was for Ace's time. And it's a little weird because if they're supposed to stay in touch, why wouldn't we emphasize that connection? I mean, Luffy didn't even want the Grand Fleet and they still got V-Ray cards, and Luffy wants Momo, Yamato, and Kinemon as pirate crewmates and didn't give them a V-Ray card, or at least we don't know. Now, I don't want this criticism to be conflated as me thinking I'm a better writer than Oda, but that situation aside, you can see how throughout this analysis I pointed out several moments within the story that were examples of how Oda did nearly all the events in chapter 57 better in the end of other arcs. Wano was an arc that paralleled so many pre-time skip arcs and post-time skip arcs, and it really did feel like Wano was the culmination of the entire story that will prepare us for the final saga. But what I'm left with, at least on chapter 1057, is a feeling that all these grand moments were missed. They happened, but it wasn't as memorable as ever before. I remember Robin on Eni's lobby, I remember Vivi's goodbye, Dressrosa's Sakazuki cup ceremony, Ace Sabo Luffy's Sakazuki cup ceremony, Jinbei's blood exchange moment. That's not saying Wano did not have those moments, they definitely did. And I will reflect upon Wano in its entirety at a later point, but I do think it's valid to say that 1057 as a chapter could have been elevated fairly easily. Maybe Oda is waiting to show some of these moments missed at the end of Wano for a later time, but from chapter 1057, while I like the thematic of the Kabuki theater and Rakugo narration, unless Hiyori plays a larger role in the story later, I do feel like her moment in this chapter shouldn't have overshadowed Momo's, Yamato's, and the crew's. We were given nearly three pages of flashback also, which at the end of the arc is understandable to include, but a lot of the emotions that the reader would have gained from that was delivered when Momo synthesized his feelings a page later. He was losing yet another family and in that regard I don't even think the flashbacks did a great job of painting the entire picture because it focused on Luffy and Momo, which is fine but Momo emphasized twice that he survived because of everyone, not just Luffy. And by this point I should probably address, do I think that Wano would have been better to extend out a chapter or two to let these moments breathe? I would say yes. I would prefer more memorable moments than this. Did Wano need to be longer? No, I'm sure in hindsight we could have traded some other moments for these moments that I talked about today. And just highlighting something again, because of the way the chapter was laid out, it does make it feel like Hiyori and possibly the Kurozumi will continue to be relevant in some way, but I'm not sure yet. So that takes care of my sort of in-depth but not fully deep diving analysis of chapter 1057. I do have plans to reflect on Wano and the elements of this chapter more in the future. If you want to see my live reactions or any of the discussions I had around 1057, check out my VODs channel, Parvision VODs, on YouTube. And if you want to get more connected to me, check out all my social media links on my YouTube, my main channel, 
Parvision. And so, like always, thank you for connecting with me, and I'm looking forward to connecting with you all on the next Parvision. <laughs>